So, this is not part of a series or anything. It's just going to be tagged onto the end of our last series, really, looking at how we respond to Jesus. Because over the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking at the walk of life that Jesus has laid out on the most famous speech of all time. It's the first recorded sermon in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus... Jesus lays out some amazing things for his hearers. It's up on a mountainside. His disciples are gathered around him, and around them are, is a huge crowd listening in to this man preaching about the kingdom of God. Now, I mean, most of you probably know it very well, but it starts with the blessed ones, who the blessed ones are, the Beatitudes. And then it, Jesus goes on to... Uh, He uh, claims that he is the one who fulfills the law. All the Old Testament was pointing towards him, he's basically saying. A huge claim. And he explains the law, the rules, the commandments in the Old Testament. So you remember where Jesus said, you know that Moses wrote that you shall not murder But Jesus explains that actually, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, then you have already broken that law. That the law isn't just to do with outward actions, it's to do with your heart. That's what Jesus says. He also says that we should love our enemies. He teaches about giving money, he teaches about prayer, he teaches about forgiving others. He tells us not to be anxious. But then in the, in the latter part of the sermon, he goes on to actually say that there's two types of people in the world. And he uses two different illustrations. He says there's the wide gate and then there's the narrow gate. Or he says there's good trees, good trees and bad trees. There's good trees that produce good fruit, because that's what good trees do. It's their nature. But there's also bad trees, which produce bad fruit, but they do so because it's their nature. It's just what the trees do. And so we can start to see Jesus dividing people in the way that he's preaching here. There's different kinds of people. But then at the very last bit of the sermon... Jesus makes some outstanding claims of himself. Uh, In verse 21 of chapter 7, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Here, Jesus, preaching this sermon, claims to be the Lord who at the end of time people are going to go up to to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the man who decides the fate of you and me. Jesus is claiming that he is the one who, get, who has access into the kingdom of heaven. And then at the start of the reading that Martin read out later, he says in verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So Jesus doesn't just claim to be the Lord and judge of the world, but he also says that these words are given for you for your wisdom. 
If you reject these words, you are like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. But all this is just trying to refresh our memories of what Jesus said over the past few weeks when we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the walk of life. Because what I'm interested in is the passage immediately after when Jesus comes down the mountain. Because we can think, yeah, Jesus said all this thing, but what do I do? How do I respond to this man who claims to be Lord and judge? What do I do? What do I do with Jesus? How should we respond to him? Is it a case of just pulling up your bootstraps and trying really hard? Is it just a matter that he's laying down the law and now we follow it as best as we can and hope on the last day that he'll let us into heaven? Because we've tried really hard. Or is it something a lot deeper? Is it something to do with the heart? Is it something about the content of the sermon? So, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 8. And in verse 1, Jesus comes down the mountain. So that's where he's been preaching. And this great crowd follows him. No doubt their heads are buzzing with all these, all these phrases, all this teaching that Jesus has been saying, and their hearts are thumping over, what do we make of Jesus? You can imagine what they must be feeling, the excitement as well. But maybe also wondering, how do we respond to what this man has said? But Matthew, who's written this account, hasn't just very kindly written down the, the sermon itself, but he writes down an account of a leper who comes and meets Jesus right after this sermon. And it's to teach us how we should respond to Jesus' words. Matthew has put this account for us, for our teaching. And we can learn a lot from it, and I hope and pray that we do. Because Jesus comes down the mountain, and this leper runs up to Jesus. He falls on his knees before Jesus and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, to understand this, we, we've got to understand what is leprosy, don't we? Some of you might know, some others might not. Well, it's a pretty horrendous thing, really. It's a horrific disease. It's a, a skin condition. And it's still around today, um, and there's actually cures for it today. But in the Bible times, I think in 2 Kings, it says there isn't a cure for this disease. So at the time of uh, when Jesus had his ministry, there wasn't a cure for this disease. It was terminal, basically, but it was a horrendous disease. Uh, it was characterized by a white color on your skin. Uh, you'd have itchiness, you'd have sores, you'd have flesh being exposed, you'd have oozing, um, eventually parts of your fingers and your toes would actually fall off and get wasted away. You'd have loss of hair. And it'd be really painful. It'd be uncomfortable. Just nothing, nothing is quite like it. It's horrendous. You'd be disfigured and you'd suffer a lot. One commentator on this passage put it like this. Leprosy is the most fearful disease by which man's body can be afflicted. He that is like one dead while he still lives. Uh, zombie movies come to mind there, don't they? But 
I think zombie movies are so scary because it reflects something of this horrendous disease, something about it. But yeah, it's, it's not nice. But there's more to it than just this physical condition. There's a lot more to it because the Bible has a um, specific category for um, leprosy. So I, I'm sure it's all of your favorite books of the Bible, Leviticus, has um, some teaching on leprosy because Leviticus is uh, teaching about what is holy, what is clean, and what is unclean. So that's ceremonial statuses. So what is holy is devoted to the Lord, and it's used for the temple worship and for holy things. It's separated. And you have the clean things, which are acceptable for everyday use and can come in to make you a sacrifice. If, if uh, you weren't clean that day, you weren't allowed to come to the temple. But if you're clean, you're good to go. But then there's also the unclean. And now Leviticus says loads of different ways of how you can be unclean. But it's this ceremonial status, being unclean. And it, being unclean means you can't come to the temple to worship. You are cut off. And the thing is that if you had leprosy, if you were diagnosed with this, you came to the priest and you said, I've got this thing on my skin, can you have a look at it? And the chap says, yeah, that's leprosy. He would pronounce you unclean. It had consequences to having this that weren't just physical suffering, but it meant that you were cut off from society. I'll read... um, I'll read what it says. This was uh, what would happen to the leprous person. It's Leviticus 13. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let his hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover up his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so understanding this, uh, what it meant for this man who comes to Jesus with leprosy, we can understand him a lot better, can't we? Because he's not just in need of, because he's been suffering, but actually he's lived a really lonely life as well, cut off from friends and family, cut off from everyday life, cut off from the worship in the temple, from spirituality and that. And so... There's a lot more to it than just this poor chap coming. He doesn't just need to be physically cleansed, but he also needs to be ceremonially cleansed. But we see, don't we, that as he runs towards Jesus, he kneels down and he says, If you're willing, Lord, you can make me clean. This man recognizes that Jesus is the one person who can make him clean. If only Jesus is willing to do so. That's the issue. He recognizes Jesus is able to do it, but will Jesus do it? And so he begs him at his feet, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus do? Does he shy away, go, no, I can't touch uncleanness? I wonder what we would do. I wonder whether we'd be we would run away. But no, Jesus does the unthinkable thing. 
he reaches out his hand and he touches the untouchable man. He puts his hand on him and says, I am willing and be clean. And immediately this man's leprosy was cleansed. It was gone. He had his life back. It's amazing. We see the compassion of Jesus, don't we? Outstanding. But he isn't just able to do this. This isn't a God who's distant with all the power but keeping it to himself. This is a selfless God. One who reaches out, touches the untouchable person and makes them clean. Such compassion. He was both willing and able. But what about us? I said a moment ago that this account is written for us so that we can understand how we should respond to Jesus. And I hope that in your minds you're already thinking this isn't looking anything like just trying harder. This isn't just about hearing the law that Jesus has laid out and saying I'm going to try really hard. This is about hearing Jesus' words and saying, man, I'm undone. I'm unclean. I don't live up to what Jesus has said. If you want to put it in some of the illustrations, I'm that bad tree. I produce bad fruit. I've been a fool. And I'm headed for ruin. Now, I do need to deal with an issue here um, about how do we relate to this leprous man because he does teach us how we should respond to Jesus because the Bible is full of illustrations that teach us about spiritual truths and the world for that matter is full of illustrations that teach us about spiritual truths and one of these pictures that we're looking at now is leprosy and It's a hard truth to learn because leprosy is a picture of our sin. Sin isn't a a popular word to throw around these days. But the Bible speaks very clearly on it. And we need to understand it to understand our need for Jesus. And leprosy is a picture of humanity's sin as a whole. I'm not pointing the finger at you, I'm pointing the finger at us. This is me. This is you. This is us. Now, what I'm not saying, I do want to say this quite carefully, is that because this man had leprosy, um, he was a worse man than everyone else. I'm not saying that this leprosy was judgment on this man. It's part of the fallen world that disease is here which is due to man's sin. But I'm not condemning this man any more than I'm condemning myself. Because it's not an us and them situation. It is just an us situation. The fact of the matter is, this man had leprosy. But he teaches us about ourselves. So this this man's leprosy is a picture of not only his sin, but my sin. As we look at him, it's like holding up a mirror against my own heart. And the verdict is, I'm unclean. I'm unclean ceremonially. I'm unclean 
spiritually. I just want to make that, that clear. And so, in a way, we are all lepers. It's horrendous, isn't it, to think like that? We're all lepers. Not physically, but more seriously, spiritually. We are unclean. In Ephesians it says we are spiritually dead, even as we live. We're cut off from the life of God who is holy. That's our natural state. And we're broken, we're unable to help ourselves. And to be honest, we feel dirty. I feel dirty. Not just because of the wrong things that I do, but because the wrong person that I am. I feel guilty and dirty. But we like to hide this fact, don't we? Especially as we're British, we either try to ignore it or we put a brave face on it and try to cover it up. Imagine that just this morning you looked in the mirror and you saw a mark just coming out on your cheek. Maybe some white skin you could see. And then you think, oh my word, what, what's that? And so maybe if you're a man, you rummage around in your, in your wife's or your mum's makeup bag and you find something that matches and you, you cover it up quickly just so that no one would see. Then the next day you wake up and you rush to the mirror and you see that it's got worse. Maybe it looks sore and it's starting to itch. You think, where's that makeup? Let's cover it up. Let's don't, don't let anyone see this. And so you put it on again. And then the next day, it's got worse. Your heart sinks. How am I going to show everyone this? This horrendous thing that's coming out. And so you, maybe you put a mask on. Someone says, oh, what, what's the mask for? Oh, I'm just trying it out. And you look, you know. But they don't know that it's all just to cover up this thing underneath, this uncleanness. And, I mean, that's what we all do every day, isn't it? If you knew what my heart was like, I'd be terrified. We put up makeup, maybe good works to, to show that, oh, yeah, I'm a right person, Dom's all right. You can have a laugh with him. You do use humor, don't you, to cover up. We do all sorts of things. We put on a front to show people. But only if they knew who we really were. We'd be devastated. We'd be embarrassed and ashamed and feel dirty because we're unclean. Now, some of you might take offense at this. I wonder if you do. And in a way, that's good because it is offensive. It means that I've been clear because the Bible is offensive. It confronts us with who we really are. But I wonder if you are offended, what terrifies you more is that this is true and that you actually do feel like this. But there is great news for us. There is great news for us people who don't love God who are separated from the life of God, who don't keep the good life that Jesus commands us to do. 
there is great news for us people who are unclean spiritually. Because just as this leper who ran to Jesus completely undone and said, Lord, if you are willing, if only you are willing, you can make me clean. The same is true today. The same Jesus that walked this earth 2,000 years ago and cleansed this leper is alive today. He's risen today. And he's speaking to you today, even now. And he is able, but more than that, he is willing to make you clean. So come to him in your brokenness. Kneel before him as your Lord, just as the leper said, Lord, if you're willing. And knowing that he is more than capable of making you clean. And ask him to reach out and to cleanse you from your sin. He's not far away. And it's as simple as this one phrase. You might think, oh, I've never prayed before. I don't know how to pray. Well, actually, it's as simple as saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He'll take away all the shame, all the guilt. He'll give you a new life. He'll give you his life. So, just to finish, there is, there is no need for you to be left in your uncleanness. I want to make that incredibly clear. Jesus has died so that he would bear your sin. He has died to take the punishment that your sins deserve so that you no longer have to bear them. He's done it for you. And so it's not about you just trying harder and hoping for the best. It's about coming to Jesus and saying, make me clean. Just to reinforce this, I'd like to close with just the last illustration. It's because maybe, or well, think of a man who's seriously ill. He would be a fool not to go to the doctor, wouldn't he? If you were his friend, you would say, what? what's the matter? Why aren't you going to the doctor? He would be a fool not to go. And that would be like us, not going to Jesus, if we don't come to him for cleansing. But he might say, no, no, I'm okay. He might give, he might give three reasons. He says, no, I don't want to go to the doctor. My condition's not really that bad. Believe me, it's bad. Or he might say, no, I don't want to go. I'm afraid of the doctor. I don't want to go. I'm going to get bad news. I don't want to go. Or maybe I'm afraid that he can't help me. Well, we've got to know that he will help and he preaches good news to you and he can make you clean. Or the third reason our friend might not go to the doctor. He might be proud, mightn't he? He might not even acknowledge that he's ill. Or he might think that he can fix it himself. 
He might be seriously ill. I don't know. He might even have cancer. And he might say, well, I can fix it with a, with a bottle of vitamin C and a bottle of wine. What would you say? Man, you've got to go to the doctor. You haven't got it in yourself to get help. You would do everything you could to get your friend along to the doctor to get the help that he needs. But in his pride, he won't come. He thinks he knows best. Well, I hope that us all today wouldn't ignore the problem. We wouldn't be afraid of Jesus and that we wouldn't be proud, but we would come to him broken, in need of help, and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean.